subject may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. At least I'm in the studio. Merle Kelch is joining us on location today, but he can take your questions and phone calls, 715-845-2155. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing on this beautiful day? Well, I don't know how beautiful it is, but uh, we're here and we're ready to function, I guess. Uh, so why don't we start with a term that I'm hearing in the last few days that I never didn't really know what it was. I had to look it up. Uh, and it has to do with the company Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know if you're familiar with what's been going on with that company. But uh, the term is meme stock. And uh, a meme stock, from what I am told, is a stock that is a, a, a favorite of online traders that gets promoted by social media posts and becomes ultra popular and is traded heavily and can go up and down very quickly. And there are actually meme stock ETFs now. Since the start of July, Roundhill Meme ETF, 1.6 million in assets, is up nearly 30%. That's more than double the 13% rise of the S&P 500 ETF trust. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond went in the tank late this week when the CEO of the company decided to sell millions of dollars worth of his stock in the company. Um, so I guess... Obviously, this stuff is volatile, but uh, I would imagine people, if they are smart, can make a killing on this stuff very quickly. What What's your take on meme stocks? Oh, I think there's going to be more people going to jail. Uh, so the meme stock, it really kind of started out uh, with AMC and uh, GameStop through Robinhood. And um, with a trading platform, boy, I can't think of a Tom at the top of my head here, but um, there's a, a board, you know, like a, a posting board. That said, hey, we got to do this. We got to get, you know, give it, stick it to the man, all this kind of I stuff. I think you're talking about Reddit. I think that's where meme stocks yeah, yeah. became first popular on Reddit. Yeah. Right. So, so Reddit was the, the, the voice. Uh, Robinhood was a trading platform that largely this occurred on. And so, in that, they said, we're going to stick it to the man. This really started with AMC and GameStop, as I said. And they took a stock that was heavily shorted. So, a shorting in the stock, folks, is where you can actually sell the shares and not own the shares of the company. And so the stock goes down, you repay back the shares, um, and you repay them back at a lower price stock, thereby making a profit. So, you know, GameStop was going broke. Um, I don't, I haven't looked at their financials for a while, but I mean, they were going broke. And it was, it was pretty much all done over except for the lady singing. 
And uh, AMC was having a hard time, of course, during the pandemic. Yeah, but they're one going to movies. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you, but uh, they have recovered nicely, according to the story oh, I'm yeah, reading right yeah. now. That is dated uh, August 18th. AMC uh, is up. Let me see here. AMC is up. 74% since July, and the original meme stop, GameStop, has seen its shares jump nearly 40%. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a, a meme ETF called Marathon Digital Holdings that is up 193% since July. Sure. And Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, before its loss yesterday, was up nearly 400%. How, how can there sure. be returns that big? I mean, uh, well, again, we have to look at, you know, and, and what I was saying before is you know, GameStop at one point, it was just done. I mean, regardless yeah. of what the stock price was, the financials, um, people just weren't going and buying their games at a, a brick and mortar anymore. So so with that said, um, yeah, a lot of the, you know, the millennials and the people who were doing GameStop, you know, through Reddit and others said, well, let's just start buying the stock. Because if you start buying the stock and forcing the price up, that means the short sellers that were in there taking advantage of the company going broke are going to basically get it in the shorts. Um, and with them having the potential of losing money, they were sticking it to the man. So then it happens the same thing with AMC. So regardless of what happened with the profitability of the company, uh, the stock prices jumped. Now, in the, the name of GameStop, I don't know about AMC, but at least uh, in the name of GameStop, the executives at that point in time took some of that rise in the price and were able to, to spin it around for GameStop to start doing some business differently. And I think they're actually on the mend as far as to going to make profit right now. So, so the same essential thing happened then with Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, they uh, um, had some financial trouble, so people started shorting it. Um, it was went in again in a meme stock. It appears to be that it is a stock that social media starts saying, all right, let's start running the price up and buying the shares, and it runs up. Now, in GameStop, I believe, and maybe even in AMC, there were a couple of licensed brokers like me that were starting to force that thing back up, and you can't do that. It's illegal. Um, and so they started having some issues. And so I'd be surprised if something like that wasn't happening again if we look at Bed Bath & Beyond and what or who is forcing this price back up again where it turns into this meme stock. So there's always some sort of a danger in that. We can't – you can't – I want to use the term front-running, but that's not what it is. Um, you can't go through and say, well, we're going to have this stock and, and make it popular so the stock price runs back up. Um, by a licensed representative, um, it's illegal. You can't do that. And that's what happened before. Well, aren't Wouldn't these surprise me if you see it happen again? Aren't these meme ETFs run by uh, licensed professionals? I mean, they're they're all listed uh, for purchase. Well, um, the meme ETFs, uh, Tom, I'm I'm with you. So it would not surprise me at some point in time we see these meme ETFs uh, that we have some people that are in there that are trying to influence uh, the stock prices in which they choose. Um, I just think it's dangerous to me. Um, now, you can't argue with the rates of returns. Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm reading, how is it happening? Well, I'm reading a story on Market Watch right now, and uh, they actually they have analysts that actually give you a list of companies that are part of this meme ETF that they think are going to rise 25% or more in the next 12 months. I won't name the companies, but uh, there are yeah. names that you'll recognize. Um and I'm also reading that most of these meme stocks are very popular with younger investors. And as we've talked very often on the show, uh, you believe in in 
conservative uh, investing, dive, you know, diverse stock portfolio, slow and steady wins the race. I would imagine many young investors, have you found this to be the case, many young investors don't have the patience for that. Oh, God, no. They want the big uh, hit right away. Yeah. Well, and the risk, yeah, I, the risk I, factor is not is not uh, important to them. If it's risky, that, that it's risky. That, but they want the big payoff. You know, Tom, I don't know if I like the fact that I've become old enough to be able to look back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this past uh, well, it would have been a year ago now, September. We're sitting out in Boston, and as we're in Boston, we're talking to a bunch of the young kids that are working as the you know bartenders and the wait staff, and so you know, you're going to school and normal conversation. Yeah, I want to go to school for real estate because you really make a lot of money fast and then get out and retire. And I'm just kind of going, what? <laughs> and, and you see a lot of the same stuff with uh, the cryptocurrency. Oh, cryptocurrency went up and, and we're going to buy a bunch of money in cryptocurrency. We can make it just a ton of dough really fast. And uh, okay, huh? And, and so we're seeing some of the same thing with these the meme stocks. Um, yeah, it's something that's manipulated. It, it's not, it doesn't have the hard work in it. One of my favorite speakers, Jim Rohn, who has passed, um, said, you know, everything worthwhile has pain associated with it. And I thought to myself, that just doesn't really sound like a lot of fun, but it does. It's got pain and hard work no matter what it is. You know, uh, and, and so if there's no pain or hard work that goes into investing, as far as, you know, the, the pain of the research and the work and the reading, now that type of thing, you're probably not going to get there because there's no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, you might be able to get rich quickly, uh, but a lot of times those things that have the risk to get rich quickly also take it away pretty fast, too. And to me, that's just what the meme stock stuff seems. Um, I don't have a problem with any of the companies. I certainly don't have a problem with the rates of returns. Um, but how do we get there becomes a question. Is it legal? Is it right? Um, you know, we're investing a whole bunch of money and driving up the stock of a company that doesn't make any money. There's no logic to it. But, you know, they're making money doing it. My option just is prefer not to do that. I'd rather be the old, uh, boring, fat guy. Oh, that's already me. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what the market's been doing uh, down a bit this week. It broke a four-week yeah. winning streak. Uh, there was a big summer rally, uh, and uh, the stock market's been up recently. And I'm reading a headline yeah. here on MarketWatch. It says, hedge funds pile up $125 billion bet against the S&P 500's big summer rally. Is that yeah. just hedge funds being being contrarian and uh, and looking for a big payoff themselves in doing that, or well, yeah, is the yeah, market yeah. due for a big correction at this point? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we see the market come back a little bit because we just ran up ten percent, folks, since July first, um, and that's um, I calculated we're up thirty one sixty five since July first. I did the numbers this morning, um, and that's as of the call. I'm sorry, that's as of the peak of two days ago. I don't know what the number was yesterday exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, so we had a nice run up and so look at it and say, oh, great. This really makes our statements look a lot better. But it only makes sense that, you know, we had a bunch of money that was made. You're going to have some people that are going to take some profit. And uh, so I'm surprised we come back. But what the biggest thing is, is that we're seeing that companies are still making money. You know, bottom line. So, um, you know, we have to get over all this political rhetoric. In fact, I actually read an article about that this morning, Tom, is that, um, uh, the, the author of the article called it silly season. I'm guessing he probably had different terms, but he called it silly season. You know, he said we're coming up to the midterms, and uh, the political sides, both sides of the spectrum, are going to play whatever they can from economic data to try to convince us to vote one way versus another versus simply looking at what the numbers are. You know, we saw the term, we're in a recession, we're in a recession, we're in a recession, and we're never inside of a recession, folks. 
you know, some of the data was pointing that we were, but the actual bulk of it says that we're not. We're still in an economy that's growing. And so now recently, as we saw inflation step back a little bit, uh, we're seeing another political, the other political side saying, oh, my God, you know, this is fantastic. Uh, the recession, we're on a road to recovery. But no, we're not. We just had a little bit of a break. We have some indications that inflation might be slowing. Make no mistake about it. The numbers at this particular point in time are still saying um, that we're going to have a recession at some point in time, but probably not until next year that most economists are saying that's still going to occur. So I always recommend, folks, got to get the politics out of it, which is what I try to do. Um, and we have to take a look at what are the numbers telling us. And so as a result of that, uh, we saw the market come back and saying, hey, you know, the quarter was done at the end of June. As we looked at the math, corporate America is still making money, still growing. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not falling apart. The number of companies that meet and exceeded was higher than normal. People are still going to work. Unemployment is low. Huh. Uh, maybe we should buy in some of these stocks. Maybe they're at a good value in price. They ran up. Some people are going to take a little profit. Some people are going to start buying in continually as we uh, come out for the next quarter. All right, 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated, and it can last a lifetime. Living... ...or when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When you need me, I'll be by your side. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. 715-845-2155 is the number to call here. What have you been talking with your clients about the last couple of weeks? So what's been on their radar? You know, some of the biggest things that we're looking at is is, is the pivot. We're hearing that term all over the place. In fact, um, I'm not sure if I've ever heard the term before. I know what they're talking about. But, you know, one of the things I love about you know, doing all the reading, the media, and and, uh, and and following it so close as I do, is you hear some terms that are just kind of new. And uh, here's one they're calling it the pivot. Now, I'm not really sure you know what that's meant in the past, but I now know what it means here in regards to the Federal Reserve. So, if you're hearing this, uh, folks, the the big thing that the the market drops on Friday, uh, we'll probably see some volatility happening this next week as uh, Chairman Powell from the Federal Reserve and the boys are going to be going up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. A little early for skiing, but uh, apparently that's the big economic place to go. <clears throat> so, Tom, if you become an economist, you immediately get a free house in Jackson Hole, I hear. Uh, I don't think that's true, but okay. All right. Okay. So, so in here, um, there's a thing they're calling the pivot. And there comes a time, folks, that interest rates continue to keep going up, which drops, of course, bond prices. And as the bond prices go down, you find start looking around and say, well, we have the ability to get a bond portfolio that's not tied to the stock market. 
that we can receive an interest rate. It's actually a dividend, but bear with me. We receive the interest coming from the bonds. Um, we can build a nice bond portfolio, which is what you know our grandpa and grandma did years ago. And uh, with that being the case, at some political point in time, then, we have the recession. It starts. And with that becoming the case, the Fed then pivots from rising or raising interest rates to drop inflation. Pivots now says, okay, now we're going to start dropping the interest rates so we can fire the economy back up again. And so with that, the market has been looking forward um, at the words from the Federal Reserve as well as the various governors popping up and saying, so are we at the pivot yet? Are we at the pivot yet? And the answer is no, we're not. It's going to come, uh, but at some point in time, um, we're going to see inflation come down to the target, which the Fed wants, which is 2%. It could be a year from now. could be two years from now. Who knows? Uh, but then we're going to start you know, seeing interest rates come down. So that does two things. It's going to drive the stock market up because the cost of money or borrowing is going to be less. So when we want that widget machine, it's going to cost us less than it will be at that time because the interest rates drop. Um, and at the same time, we didn't see our bond portfolio start to rise and go up from a principal standpoint, not the interest, but the principal will go up because of the dropping interest rates. Remember the teeter-totter effects between the value of bonds and interest rates. So we're looking at that. And so all the words are coming up now saying, well, is the Fed in, in September, are they going to increase interest rates 75 basis points or 50? Are they going leave to it, leave it even? And so that's all the, the banter that's buzzing back and forth. And one of the reasons we saw the volatility in the market yesterday. Well, I guess I'm confused. You say that bond values are going to be going up when inflation comes down. The stock market. I'm still... sorry, when interest rate comes down. I'm sorry. Oh, when, when interest, interest rates come down. down. So, but because yeah. stocks and bonds can't go up at the same time, can they? Oh, certainly they can. Um, uh, stocks and bonds can go up at the same time, but they typically don't. I don't know what the correlation is for one reason or another. 0.6 pops into my head, which they're negatively correlated at a 0.6. So um, bonds only typically go up and down based upon interest rates. So if we see interest rates come down in this pivot we're talking about, so the Federal Reserve drops interest rates, it'll make the bond prices go up, and the lower interest rates will typically make the stock market go up. This is us having a conversation with a bunch of people. You know, if we look back through history, you usually see the stock market going up you know, during a recessionary event. Um, it doesn't mean the stock market falls apart. Stock market usually falls apart ahead of the recessionary event. But at some point in time, interest rates come down. Um, uh, you know, we make money in the bonds. And because the interest rate is coming down, the stock market then looks ahead and says, OK, uh, we think it's going to go ahead. We see the stock market drive up because they think the economy is going to start expanding. Um, so when does that happen in a recessionary event? You know, who knows? I mean, it's, like, it's going to be in the first quarter or the second half, but it usually happens in there. So this is some of the things that are triggered by this pivot from the Fed from increasing interest rates to dropping them. But we're not close, folks. Well, you Even said, though the market's behaving like it, we're not close to that. You said you haven't been buying bonds for years. Are you in a place now where bonds are becoming more attractive to add to your portfolio? Oh, boy, we're, you know what? We're really close. Um, so, you know, I have attributes that I like to see inside of my bonds. Um, I like to see, you know, certain price for certain yields, uh, certain durations, uh, you know, certain time. There's all a whole bunch of stuff that's a whole show in itself on how you look at this stuff. So, matter of fact, uh, this past week, I have to tell you, Tom, I was teaching my assistant, Kim, about bond duration. I had to nudge her a couple of times. She was falling asleep <laughs> while, I was, while I was actually talking to well, her, so I had to give her a nudge. I'll tell you what. 
We're going to take a break for some news. When we come back, I want you to explain bonds and uh, how they work and why people should make them part of their portfolio and why a good time is maybe right now. Do all of that. Give us a little bond education when we come back from our news break. And okay. we'll, try to st- we'll try to stay awake for you, all right? We'll come, uh, thanks. We'll, we'll come right back. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll be back with more with Merle Kelch here on WSAU. Looking for a way to give back to your community, learn new skills, and make a real difference? Cons- As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the goat. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch on location today. All right, Professor Kelch is in the house. Take us to school on bonds. Tell us everything we need to know. Folks, I just spent this whole break doing math. <laughs> I just got to tell you, it's early, and I just did math, and uh, something. I, I smell smoke. I'm not really sure where it's coming from. All right, so first of all, the most basic premise of a bond is that a bond is a loan. It's loanership as opposed to the stock market, which is ownership. I know loanership is a word, Tom, because I just said it. I've heard it before. All right, there we go. So so a bond is a loan we're making to a company, to a municipality, to a state, to the U.S. government, whomever, but we're making a loan to them. And the promise of getting a dividend every six months, typically there are exceptions, of course. Now, I'm saying a dividend, but let's make it so it's easier to understand because we're familiar with um, if we give the loan out, we get the interest back. So let's call the dividend interest for ease sake. So we make a loan to a company, to a municipality, and we're going to get interest typically every six months back. So let's say in a perfect world, we buy $10,000 worth of bonds. And in that $10,000, um, uh, the prevailing interest rates out there are 6%. This bond is paying 6%. So our $10,000 bond. Um, for the next year, we're going to receive $600 worth of interest. Okay? Easy? Simple? Yep. Mm-hmm. So with that then, now we don't get the $600 all at one time, folks. Every six months, we get 300 twice per year. All right. So with it then, we keep talking about the interest rates going up and down and how that affects the bond prices. So let's take the scenario that um, interest rates are going down. Let's take that. So let's say the prevailing interest rates now go down to 4%. Well, our bond is still going to pay how much? Still 600 bucks. It's not going to change for the year. Uh, but the prevailing interest rates went down to 6 So then why, you ask the question, would I want to sell my bond that's paying a $600 a year or a 6% interest? Why would I want to sell it? Because it's worth more because the new bonds coming out are paying 4%. So by simply doing some quick math, you take the $600, and you divide that by 0.04, it'll tell us the amount of our value of the bond to be able to pay that $600 is 4% of some number, and that number happens to be $15,000. So our bond, which we bought for $10,000, interest rates go down. For that $600 to be 4% of some number means our bond is now worth $15,000. So that's when the interest rates go down, the bond values go up. Now, what's happening currently are rising interest rates. And I just simply went from 6% to 9%. I chose a number here, folks. So the prevailing interest rates when we bought our bond, again, repeating, 6%, we're going to receive $600 on our bond. 
no matter what. It doesn't change. It stays that way until some point in time in the future where that company, corporation, municipality repays that bond back. Uh, we continue to keep getting that, and that's called the maturity date at some point in time in the future. Um, at that point in time, we get our $10,000 principal back. They give it back to us. And again, credit worthiness, do they go broke, not broke, all those questions aside at this point. So if the interest rates then go from 6% to 9%, our $600 is now 9% of what number? So we simply decide, divide the $600 by the 0 0.09, and if uh, the new number, our new bonds are going to get 9%. I don't want to buy a new bond that's going to pay 6%. I want the 9%. And so I have to take a discount if I want to sell it, and the new price would be 666, 66, 66, 66. So, so the interest rates really affect bonds. So we have to then adjust back and forth uh, for those types of events. So one, we have to look at um, uh, not only the, the duration, but the maturity time. So the maturity time, again, the date that we get our money back. If it's a longer way out, we get more of a whipsaw because of inflation and a fluctuation of price. If it's closer to today, um, we get less volatility with that up and down for price. There's also a thing called duration, and this is the part that made my assistant Kim go to sleep and all of our friends that are listening to the radio show now out in the, uh, the campground <laughs> out by the fire pit, they're going to be nodding off. I'll be able to see this through the window at the moment. They're up already? Well, yeah, they're up. My wife is behind me. She's, she just hit the floor. She fell asleep right now. But it's the time value of the money of all those income streams going out over all the years plus the original principal. You put all that big calculation together, it tells us the sweet spot from the maturity date. And long durations, big volatility with interest rate fluctuations. Short durations, very little fluctuation. So usually if you want to have money for a short term, you can buy a bond that has short duration to it and usually get a pretty good interest rate, but a lot less volatility to the interest rates. Well, why, wouldn't um, you do, so, why, why wouldn't you do that all the time? Why would you buy long-term bonds then? Well, long-term bonds, you can really make a nice rate of return. You just like everything else, you just have to buy them right. So the best time to buy your bonds is when interest rates tend to be a little bit higher um, because your price gets, your price is better. And then as things improve, you're going to continue to keep getting that interest rate. But then if interest rates start coming back down, you make a rise in the value of your bonds, plus you get the interest along the way. Make sense? So yeah. you get both of them. It's just that our interest rates have been so low for so long that price, the bond prices have been overvalued. And they hadn't been at that, you know, in our example here, everything's at parity or at 10,006%. We haven't had that par, that parity for a long time. So what I'm seeing happen in the bond marketplace right now is that municipal bond prices are really kind of coming in first. Um, you know, we're looking at municipal bonds. And, and folks, I like municipal bonds because not only are they tax-free, uh, for most federal stuff, sometimes you get stuff that's federal and state tax-free. Um, but a lot of times you can buy a reinsurance that guarantees the interest and the principal on them. Of course, they're always backed by the you know, the quality of the reinsurance company. And, well, it's going to save that for another thing, another time. Um, but those prices are really starting to come around. Um, our last we looked, we were seeing, you know, what I consider good quality municipal bonds. We're sitting between three and a half to you know three point seven five for a tax-free interest rate. So if we take taxes out of that, it's almost like a four and a half, almost five percent rate of return, depending upon your tax bracket. And I really like that. I mean, it's good attractive. 
good quality corporate stuff, we're just not seeing the interest rates that we need a little bit of interest rates to go up a little bit before we see that from a corporate standpoint, um, where we can buy some good quality corporate bonds. So bonds are good stuff. I mean, you can really do some good work with the portfolio. But right now, it's just a little bit early yet uh, for going to build a bond portfolio. Now you're talking um, about you're talking in this scenario about uh, single bonds. What about bond uh, mutual funds or bond funds? Uh, what's kind of funny is I put a big warning on my paper to make sure we tell everybody ahead of time. Uh, this is the Merle Kelts opinion. Don't buy bond mutual funds in a rising interest rate environment. Um, you'll shoot yourself in the foot. I've seen many people get themselves shot in the foot um, as a result of doing so. And here's the reason why. So our risks inside of a bond are, of course, the credit rating. So if we buy uh, uh, bonds of XYZ Corporation and XYZ Corporation goes broke, guess what the bonds are worth? Nothing, just like all the stocks. Um, uh, municipality goes broke. Yes, it does happen. It, it's worth nothing if our credit rating is bad. So you have to buy good credit rating. The other part of that is is just simply the market return or market risk, which is what we just talked about, the rising and dropping of interest rates. That's the market risk. It's that whipsaw that can happen. And so if you're buying the bond and you can't hold it to maturity, you have to, uh, that fluctuation along the way. Matter of fact, I forgot to mention this part-time, so let me do so now. Um, if I buy a $10,000 bond and it's going to mature in 10 years and I'm getting that percent interest rate, um, guess how long I get the 6% interest rate? For the 10 years. If the interest if interest rates in the prevailing marketplace, you know what we're seeing with the Fed, are going up and down, who cares? I'm still getting my 6% uh, interest rate every year. Um, as a price fluctuation, I can simply wait till the maturity and I get my money back, that $10,000 I bought. So really kind of handy. Of course, folks, I'm oversimplifying this. There's a lot of other factors. Um, but I could just simply wait. In a mutual fund, you can't do that. So if you're inside of a mutual fund and interest rates go up and bond prices drop down, that fund manager can go through and sell a bunch of those bonds, which they'll do. Uh, they'll sell those bonds. And if we lost money in those bonds, guess who gets the loss? You and I as investors. So not only did the value go down, uh, but we also had to write off the loss, and we still have to pay taxes on the interest and dividends along the way. So we're about in one of those times right now where you get to actually lose money and pay taxes on it at the same time. Kind of cool, isn't it? No, yeah, we've heard the, heard about that before. All right, well, then, <laughs> we're in one of those times in the bonds. Then I mean, I would think normally in a situation you would want to have both stocks and bonds in your portfolio. But yeah, you're making, you you're, but you're making it sound like that that's not the case. That there there are times when you don't want bonds as part of your portfolio. Well, just different bonds. You know, different types of loan instruments. You know, the reason we put bonds into a portfolio is it helps mitigate the volatility of a portfolio. You know, the stock market goes up and down, and so you ideally have investments that are have a negative correlation to that volatility, and bonds do that. So typically, if the stock markets are going up, you usually have the bond prices that are coming back down. Those type of things. It's not a perfect correlation, but that's a typical thing you want to look at. And, and so in that, um, uh, you want to make sure that you have some bonds in your portfolio over time. But as I said, right now is a bad time to be inside of bonds directly, like if you're buying corporates or municipals. So what kind of what kind of percentage split are you looking at now in your portfolio between stocks and bonds? You know, it really depends upon the individual, Tom. Um, you know, classically, you see, you know, we want a 60-40 split. Well, 
60-40 split hasn't looked so good recently, especially over the course of the last number of years. 60-40 uh, split has got the hats handed to them all over the place. Uh, we have some clients that want a 50-50 split. I mean, that's their risk tolerance. They want to have that. Um, we have some clients that have, you know, they're 90 years old and don't want to have any bonds. They don't like them, you know. So it's all individual. But if you want a portfolio to be more conservative, the general consensus is you add some bonds that mix. Now, lately, um, you look at things, what's called a, um, a floating rate bonds. So a floating rate are essentially loans that happen to companies. It's a great time for them at the moment. They're, of course, not perfect, um, uh, but... Uh, it's a good alternative until some point in time in the future when we go through and we actually buy the physical bonds again. And uh, I like the physical bonds. Now, Tom, I got to put this out here because there's, there's a lot of you know financial professionals. They'll start doing some bonds with clients. And again, don't do bond funds right now. This is the Merle Kelch opinion. Um, hopefully you've heard all these disclaimers. So, you know, uh, but you can really, if you have any questions about this, happy to give me a call. I'll be happy to chat with you about the bond part of it. Um, and I completely lost my space in here. Oh, um, I wanted to chat about um, a laddered bond portfolio for income. Um, and again, this is still trying to go through bonds 101. So bonds pay interest every six months. So they pay interest, of course, January uh, and, and July and, uh, so, and so forth. And so if you buy, a, you know, like six bonds that pay you know, uh, January through June, they'll also then pay again from July through December. And so you keep getting that interest dividend going into your checkbook. Um, and so it works really, really nice from an income standpoint when the time comes not to start having those bonds. And so it's called a laddered bond portfolio. And boy, we haven't done this stuff for a long, long time um, in, our, in our industry just because the interest rates have been too high. Uh, I'm sorry, been too low. And the bond prices have been too high. So in bonds, when you buy them, folks, um, again, old guy here, been doing this stuff for a long time, only buy bonds in $25,000 blocks. Um, there's a lot of guys that we're going to buy $5,000 of a bond. Don't, don't, don't do that to yourself. Um, when you're buying individual bonds, the reason you want to do 25000 or up, when you go to a bond desk or a bond trader, they don't want to buy the $5,000 pieces. Uh, because it's hard to resell them if they want to resell them someplace because nobody wants $5,000 worth. Um, so with it then, only look at doing $25,000 blocks of bonds. What if somebody uh, doesn't have $25,000 to spend on bonds? Well, then you're probably going to end up using a mutual fund because you're not going to get the diversification any, anyway. Um, but you want to look at if you're going to buy a bond, buy a minimum of $25,000. You're going to get better price for it. Like anything else, if you buy smaller pieces, you're going to end up having to pay more of a premium to buy or a discount to sell. So I always want to try to do $25,000 blocks, folks, okay? All right. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more if you have a question. We're going to need it. <laughs> you, take, you take a little time here. Catch your breath. We'll come back and talk some more about whether it be the big three or big four, if you will, that are that are moving more and more into EVs. What's interesting is, First of all, an electric car, as far as acceleration goes, is tremendous. So I can't wait to try to dodge Challenger. It's electric. It's got to be a hoot. Um, but, you know, even Elon Musk, um, I listened to an article yesterday morning, um, and they were talking about Elon Musk, and even he said that he doesn't think if everybody went electric vehicles in America, there's enough infrastructure and electricity to make it work. So so I think we got to look at that. I mean, that's that's something we're going to have to do. 
there's got to be some sort of infrastructure um, with the electricity. Um, when do you think, you know, it, use your crystal ball here, when do you think that the uh, will reach the tipping point and there will be more EVs on the road than there are internal combustion engines? Boy, I don't know. I don't even have a guess on that one. I really don't. Um, but at some point in our, in our time, life, in our lifetime, though, in our lifetime, in our lifetime, we might uh, 20, 30 years on the road. You think it's going to take that long? Really? Well, we don't have the infrastructure to work, Tom. You know, so if everybody had an electric car right now, we wouldn't be able to charge them because their infrastructure wouldn't be able to handle the, the load. And so there's got to be a dramatic amount of work with that. And then what power source are we going to use for the uh, power plants and electric plants to be able to generate that power? And the unfortunate part is, is it appears as though it's going to have to be coal or natural gas for the bulk of it. Um, as a result, nuclear power plants will work very efficiently, uh, except nobody wants them in their backyard and they take so long to get permitted and built. It's just a fact of nature, folks, that we don't generate enough wind and solar power to be able to charge our cars. I think, Tom, what we're going to have more of coming up, <clears throat> and I think it'd be a better move for the car industry, would be to continue to keep working on hydrogen. And secondly, I'm really liking the plug-in hybrid stuff. Um, some friends of ours just bought a, uh, a plug-in hybrid, and he gets uh, some 30 miles a day that his engine never runs on his vehicle because it runs on electricity. You know, I look at it for me on a daily basis. I could, uh, and you, you plug it in your 110 and then the outlet in your garage. And you yeah, know. and just drive back and uh, forth to the office on that. Yeah, I, boy, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, I don't think it has a, a that much of a huge draw on, on your uh, electrical system. Um, you're not using any fuels, so it'll make our cities cleaner. I don't have an issue with that. And if I need to take a trip someplace, you know, the engine starts and it works. Like, and I think that's going to be a better stepping stone. But for us to go from gas to all electric, we just don't have the infrastructure you, at this point. In time. You, you mentioned coal. I, I just can't see coal as being a, uh, a, a an energy source of the future. It just seems to me that any companies that are relying on coal to do anything are not a good investment at this point in going forward. Do you disagree with that? Well, I, I don't know if I disagree with it, but it's, I think it's necessary. We look in Europe, both in, in uh, France and in Germany, uh, two coal plants that were going to be mothballed. Uh, they just had to fire them back up again, and they were going to be uh, taken apart and torn down. They just had to fire them back up again because of all the stuff that's happening with Russia. You know, we, we have to have the ability to generate electricity. I mean, the unfortunate part for, you know, any hardcore believer in a new Green New Deal is that you, you still have to generate electricity. So where is it going to come from? I mean, you, you have a choice of basically three things. Um, uh, there's a solar and a wind. There's not enough of it to make it work. And then with the varying of light and wind has such a variability in the amount of generation, there's there's got to be another source. No matter what you do, there has to be. And so as a result of that, then, what's it going to be? So it's going to be natural gas, which we have a mountain of in America. Um, so how are you going to get it from one place to another? You're going to end up having to pipe it. So all this sort of stuff that the Green New Deal people talk about, there's a certain amount of reality that has to happen. Um, you have to get it from someplace. It has to be generated. It has to be created. You know, Coal-firing plants, and people don't like it, and they also don't like the fact that a lot of the coal plants today they're not dirty like they were 30, 40 well, years no, ago. Well, no, they're not dirty like so they were 30, 30, 40 years ago. They're still but not. I see them probably going away. Yeah. But what's the alternative going to be? All right. Hey, we're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Let's do this another hour. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> I think the people around your campfire up there would like you to join them. 
No, they want me to stay in here. They don't like talking to me. I see. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, hey, my friend, um, Alan for next week. Um, we are doing a, a charity event on Saturday morning next week. So our good friend Alan is going to be in the studio. Um, and uh, you can find us on 3rd Avenue at Bridge Street. Come on in, kick the tires, say hello, hi, have, have, come have a cup of coffee. You can call us locally at 715-849-3600 or outside of the WASA area at 866-355-5100. Or you can find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. That's right, Merle, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. And as he mentioned, Attorney Alan Haugam will be with us next Saturday to talk about estate planning. So if you have questions about that,